Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the essential role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning and wayfinding solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business, and the planet. And as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose to design a better world. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life, Tide for Change. Today I catch up with a Puerto Rican marine biologist and shark expert, Melissa Cristina Marquez. We chat about how her love for sharks was born as a kid watching Shark Week on the Discovery Channel, her PhD studies on shark habitat use, and the impacts that overfishing has on the global ecosystem and environment. Hey Melissa, welcome to Design Your Life. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Yeah, really good, thank you. We're just in Sydney. Where, whereabouts are you? I am currently based in Florida, uh, but usually I'm based out of Perth, Western Australia. Oh, that's a nice place to be. How do you end up in Florida? So the past couple of months, I've been living on the Ocean Explorer vessel. Uh, we were filming a TV show with BBC and National Geographic, along with Ocean X Media, on the Atlantic Ocean. And so... Because of the pandemic, just basically not allowed back into Australia just yet. So I've got family members who are here in Florida who are letting me crash for a little bit. God, that's frustrating. Do you know how long you're going to be there for? No clue. Uh, I've Uh, been applying for an exemption since April, which is when I left. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I've just been told no over and over again, which kind of sucks as a PhD student. Oh, my God. Well, you, you sound American. Are you from the States originally? No. So I'm originally from Puerto Rico and Mexico. Oh. And funnily enough, I learned English in Mexico. <laughs> so you, with an, yeah, you sound uh, like you an American accent, which is cool. And so how do you end up in Perth? Is that through studying? Yeah. So I'm currently doing my PhD at Curtin University, which is in Western Australia. And Mm -hmm. I have my three advisors over in Curtin. And that's where we kind of jumped up my dream PhD project, which is looking at shark habitat use. So figuring out why sharks are where they are uh, using some marine tech such as drones and something that we call BRUVS, which stands for Baited Remote Underwater Video Camera. And essentially, it's just a fancy way of saying it's a GoPro or a camera with a little treat bag at the end of it encased in a metal cage so the sharks don't eat it. Wow. Oh, my God. So how did this come about? What, what, what was it that sparked their interest in marine biology? 
I've always been interested in the ocean. I mean, you know, I was born on an island, so Puerto Rico is an island in the Caribbean. And my mm -hmm. first memories are of me being in the ocean. Uh, I've got home videos of my dad playing the Little Mermaid song in the background and me dancing along and smiling along to it. So it's kind of always just been in me. And Sharks specifically was uh, one year turned on the Discovery Channel. My parents let me watch uh, TV essentially and were like, here, free reign of the remote and I happened to come across Discovery Channel Shark Week which is uh, during the summer every year in the northern hemisphere so July August kind of time and that was mm -hmm. the first time I saw a great white shark breaching out of the water and I was like that's it that's what I want to study wow see most people I remember watching Jaws as a young kid <laughs> and I was like <laughs> terrified from uh, about sharks and going in the ocean or even in a bath or anything swimming pool uh, after that moment, so well, it's interesting how you weren't kind of um, scared of them. Do you know what the funny thing is, is that I've actually heard a lot of people say that Jaws specifically uh, was what prompted their love for sharks. So a oh, lot really? of my, yeah, a lot of my colleagues um, say that Jaws is one of the reasons why they became a shark scientist. How funny. I guess I'm a bit soft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, you, along with a lot of the population, uh, took away the message of Jaws, of it being a scary animal, and that was the point yeah. of Jaws, was to strike fear. Um, they did it a little bit too well, though. Oh, I don't know. If you look at, if you look at it back now, you watch it now, it's so low-tech, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> the, the yeah. special effects. Definitely. I mean, you look at it now, and you're just like, what the heck is this? <laughs> yeah, what was I scared of? Exactly. Uh, well, you've dedicated your life to science and marine biology, um, which is so cool. And you just talked about the kind of the the reason kind of that, that made you do that. Um, and what, what made you decide to kind of be an advocate for protecting marine wildlife? I mean, to me, it was just an ecosystem that sparked so much joy and wonder. And then obviously learning more about it because I was curious uh, and being exposed to all of the stuff that it's having to deal with, all of the threats, such as overfishing, climate change, um, habitat destruction, acidification, like there's just so much that our oceans are having to deal with. Uh, and realizing that this beautiful and captivating ecosystem might not be there for future generations in the way that I kind of remember it made me really sad yeah. and so I decided to do something about it. And even though wow. specifically my interest is in sharks and their habitat use, you know, you can't just protect one animal. You have to protect the whole entire ecosystem. And so mine's kind of just a small puzzle piece to the greater uh, puzzle that is our oceans and our planet. Wow. And is the is Curtin encouraging that too? Is there a whole bunch of people on the course that are, have that same passion or, or are you, are you the, the only one there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where there's a lot of universities in Western Australia that have 
really passionate ocean science students. Uh, I mostly know the shark ones because uh, that's kind of my gang and we all hang out. And every one of them is mm -hmm. very, very passionate. But worldwide, I mean, it's not just an Australia thing. Worldwide, you talk to any marine biologist and they tend to be the most passionate people that just get this fire behind their eyes when they're talking about their study species or their habitat that they're kind of focusing on. And it really is just heartwarming knowing how many people are fighting for our oceans. Yeah, that's really cool to um, to hear that and to see that happening. And, and to, we've, we've got a whole bunch of people on, on this podcast, on this series, um, talking about similar things in terms of what, what part they're playing into either remove plastics from the ocean or, or, or change people's habits of uh, contributing to waste and to, you know, devastation, to actually focus on realizing that you're part of the planet. You're not just, you know, an observer or you're not just above above nature. Um, yeah. It's, it's a big movement that's happening, which is really cool to, to see. And I mean, it's not just cool to see, it's vital that it's happening too, right? Exactly, exactly. It is one of those things that, uh, funnily enough, David Attenborough, in one of his most recent documentaries that uh, me and my partner were lucky enough to see in the theaters, he said this really poignant thing where we need to start being a part of nature again instead of being apart from it. And I think that encapsulates yeah. it so well is that we've kind of forgotten this connection that we have with our ecosystems that are surrounding us. And, you know, a lot of people, even those in the middle of the city, who maybe don't like being near the ocean or in the middle of a forest, uh, they still get impacted and benefit mm. from these ecosystems. And I think people kind of forget that even though they're not a quote-unquote nature person or an outdoorsy person, uh, our planet is working tirelessly to make sure that they are alive and they have the resources that they need. So I think it's about time that we remember that and that we give back to our planet and take care of it as much as we can. Yeah, fantastic. So you just come back. You just come back from your research trip to the the Arctic. Um, what was the exhibition for, and, and what were you doing there? Yeah. So uh, the past couple of months that I've been aboard Ocean Explorer, we were filming for a TV show uh, for National Geographic and BBC and Ocean X Media, and so we were actually started in Portugal first, where we were looking at a bunch of charismatic animals, and the same exact deal in the Arctic, so we spent the past six to seven weeks in Svalbard, and actually north of Svalbard as well, which is off the coast of Norway, and we actually got up to 82 degrees uh, latitude, which is really, really far up north, which is why we had no internet and connection with the outside world, wow. which was actually kind of nice for a bit, and less nice when we got back into internet range and suddenly you start hearing like the ping, 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 ping uh, of people's all the phones. messages coming through. Yeah, everyone was just like, oh no, we're back. <laughs> uh, like but Luca we were going, hey, we need to get you on the podcast. Are you available? <laughs> like, it kept saying she wasn't, she's not responding. Now we know why. That That is why. There was literally nothing. I mean, we, we a few people had uh, satellite phones to let people know, you know, we're alive and whatnot. And they're up at the tip top of the boat being like, okay, maybe move it a little inches this way. Maybe that <laughs> way. <laughs> nope, not getting anything. Um, oh, God. So it's, I don't know, to me it was kind of nice because, A, I, had to, I got to ignore my email inbox for a little bit, um, which I mm. regretted when I came back. But... Um, it just kind of felt good to know that there's still some 
quote-unquote truly wild places still on our planet that haven't had all of the reaches of humans. And so, you know, you still see the impacts of climate change, but you don't have the benefit of Wi-Fi or the detriment of Wi-Fi, rather. So To share it to everybody. But (laughs) that that disconnection from from the technology and, you know, internet, et cetera, make you feel more connected with the experience you were having? Definitely. I mean, it made me feel more connected with the people that I was there with, um, more mm-hmm. so than any other time. Cause I mean, we had Wi-Fi, and so a lot of people were doing work and whatnot, but if you don't have to do all of that work that relies on the internet, then you do have a lot of free time. We kind of just look around at each other and be like, right, let's chat. Let's watch a movie. (laughs) Let's uh, dance and play instruments and just have really good conversations. So that happened. But also, yeah, just having that moment of putting down the technology and just kind of seeing what's around you. I mean, this whole entire experience, there were so many pinch me moments of like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this, but also, wow, I can't believe I'm here because the Arctic is just, I mean, it's, they call it the proverbial canary of the climate change world. It is the area that is warming the fastest on our planet than any other place. And you could see it. I mean, in the few weeks that we were there, you could see the retreating of the glaciers. Uh, You could see just massive icebergs crumbling right in front of you. Uh, The science and the data that was being collected was stuff that's never been seen before. And you could tell just how we were leaving our impact, even in this truly wild place, what we were doing and how we're behaving is impacting this and influencing this habitat. And that makes me really sad. Yeah, because that kind of sounds like opposite to what you just said. Like you're just having a chat and dancing and stuff <laughs> in in the Arctic. Where I mean that that was been horrific to see that that uh, it being devastated in such a way. Yeah, um, it, it was one of those things where you did have to have that cheeriness at the end of the day. Because Mm -hmm. just looking at the maps of where glaciers used to be and where they are now and the fact that we're there seeing this diminished kind of behemoth, uh, it it got to you. Like there was quite a few points where me and another one of the uh, explorers, one of the other scientists on board, we actually had to walk away from the filming for a second to just be like, wait, let's just collect ourselves because we were so distraught by what we were seeing. Jesus. Uh, it hits you really, really hard. Uh, so I'm kind of glad that we did have that little bit of reprieve from the outside world to kind of just mm-hmm. get together and be like, right, we're dealing with something really heavy right now. Mm. Let's just shake loose and sing some silly songs and make each other laugh and yeah. get through to the next nice. day. What else were you doing? So you were filming there. Were you in front of the camera or are you behind the scenes? What were you doing? So I am one of the presenters, yeah. So there's four of us uh, oh, wow. for this TV series. Uh, yeah. So the explorers along with myself were Aldo Kane, Eric Stackpole, and Zaleka Philander. Uh, Zaleka is from South Africa and she's a benthic ecologist, uh, so a deep sea scientist. So her and I got really excited whenever we had the technology go down to the deep, like to the ocean floor and get to see the animals and the wildlife that was there. Uh, Eric Stackpole is an inventor extraordinaire who you give him an idea and he runs with it and he makes it come true. And it's all about the process with him. Like 
it's awesome when his stuff works, but it's also really cool to go through the journey with him and see, all right, the failures of stuff not working, him remodeling it until he actually gets to a working point, which is amazing. And then, of course, you've got Aldo, who's legendary in the UK for, and worldwide, really, uh, for all the stuff that he does exploring-wise and making sure that he takes people on these really dangerous, remote parts of the world, but in a really safe way. Um, so it's an amazing team. Uh, having the four of us there and helping scientists who study in this area uh, achieve the goals that they want to achieve along with everybody on the Ocean Explorer vessel. I mean, you've got some top tier mm -hmm. scientists uh, and deckhands, pilots who really just come together and be like, right, how can we better serve the scientific world and get some data that's actually going to make a difference? Amazing. How did that come about, you being asked to be part of that? So uh, this actually started a few years ago, and um, like the whole entire series composition and whatnot, I made it through to the first, through to interviews and whatnot, but I was actually in Antarctica at that time, so I wasn't able to go to the interviews. Uh, so I didn't make the slot the first time, but one of the other explorers, um, or actually not even that, uh, the show then started filming after COVID and they were like, Hey, we would really like, like you to come on. And I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. I'll clear my schedule. <laughs> mm. Wow. So that's cool. That was just something you wanted to do, um, be in front of a camera. Do you know what? It's something that I never thought was possible. Um, you know, if you had asked younger Melissa, like, do you want to be a TV presenter and whatnot? I would have been like, eh, no. <laughs> um, but then I got the opportunity through Shark Week back in 2018, and I found it to be a really good medium to do science communication and reach a really broad audience and reach an audience that you normally wouldn't reach. Uh, so yeah, I really like it as a mode of education, uh, that really captures people's attention. Mm, that's really cool. I'm just re reading your blog and it says, um, I love this line on your blog that you wrote, which says my love for fashion and beauty doesn't make me any less of a scientist. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So I am... As a girly girl as they can kind of come. I love pink. <laughs> I love glitter. I love makeup. Um, I'm not great at all of them. <laughs> but I make do. Um, and there's a lot of kind of a stereotype that if you're a girly girl, you can't be an effective scientist. Um, that you're almost too feminine for science. And I think that's mm. crap, to be honest. Um, you know, my ability to do a winged eyeliner doesn't diminish my ability to do statistics <laughs> or make me any less of a quote-unquote actual scientist and so yeah I think my who I am kind of not so much tries to challenge people's preconceived notions of what a scientist is but at least kind of shows them like hey scientists come in all shapes sizes and fashionista levels uh, mine happens to be one of them. That's cool. I mean, did you find that it was a, a more male-dominated uh, industry before? It really depends on the specific uh, field, I think. So mm. we're 
kind of really lucky that with shark science, even though it seems from the media and the filming that's out there uh, that it is male-dominated, the American Elasmobranch Society, which is one of the largest group and like group of uh, practicing shark scientists or those who study sharks and their relatives, like the stingrays, the skates, and the chimeras, uh, it's primarily females. And so, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where there is quite a lot of males in the top senior roles, but we're slowly, mm -hmm. I believe, going to start seeing a change in that. They are very deserving of being there, obviously. You know, a lot of the older men, they have done pioneering stuff for shark science, and it's so grateful because it is where we, it, because of their work, we stand where we are today in shark science. But I think it's time to make the table a little bit bigger pull up some chairs and see some new faces in these kind of senior roles. So I'm really excited to kind of see this fresh wave of a little bit more diversity and inclusivity in not just shark science, but science in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, that's, that's cool. I mean, let, tell me more about why you're so fascinated by sharks and tell, kind of tell us and the listeners on what's so special about them and how they work in the whole ecosystem. I've just always been fascinated with misunderstood predators and sharks to me are probably one of the most misunderstood. They've got this really bad reputation that they don't deserve. Uh, you know, most people during the summer, there's always some sort of blockbuster film with sharks being the main villain. Uh, and of course, you've got more people in the oceans than ever before. So obviously, you're going to have run-ins with sharks every now and then, but it is such a rare occurrence. However, because the media loves to hate these villains, essentially, um, they constantly write about shark bites that happen or shark encounters that people have. So it makes it seem like it's a bigger issue than it actually is. And that's not to diminish uh, the trauma that shark bite survivors have to deal with because it is very traumatic it's very scary and I say that as someone who has been bitten not by a shark but by another animal um, another large predator I understand that fear definitely and it's not to diminish that at all um, but I think we need to kind of put it into perspective and in greater perspective risk wise how low of a chance it is I mean you have more of a chance to get bit by someone in New York or get smushed by a vending machine, uh, get hit by lightning, or get hit in the head by a coconut than you are ever getting bit by a shark. Uh, so I think seeing all of this kind of really bad representation for sharks is kind of what's sparked my very vocal uh, defending of them. And of course, I'm just interested in them in general. You know, there's an, it's an animal that's been around way longer than even trees. And so we've got this living embodiment of our planet from a very young age roaming around in our oceans. And I think that's really cool. So I'd love to preserve them and protect them for as much as possible, which is why I do what I do. Mm. Are, they, are they being hunted in large amounts? Depends what you mean by hunted. So uh, sharks, their biggest threats that they face right now is overfishing and bycatch. Uh, so either there are fisheries, some fisheries that specifically catch for sharks, um, but a lot of times the fisheries uh, are going for other animals and they're just getting sharks when they don't mean to. And some species, they don't do well with suddenly being yanked from the bottom of the ocean, brought up to the surface. 
so that's mm. a really big one. Habitat loss or habitat degradation is a really big one as well. Of course, climate change is a big one, plastic pollution, um, and of course, shark fin, shark finning um, for shark fin soup is also another big issue, as well as other um, quote-unquote traditional medicines such as uh, shark cartilage pills, uh, people trying to get them for their jaws. Um, there's a whole slew of issues. Uh, for why people try to capture sharks. So that's probably their biggest threats is, well, really us and what we're doing to our planet. Wow. I guess the I, I live up near the northern beaches and there's so many people surfing every day here on all of the beaches and it just looks so inspiring. I, I Unfortunately, I, I, well, not unfortunately, I, I grew up in Canada, but I, then I lived in England for a long time. So I never really grew up as, as a surfer and I really kind of regret that because I've tried it a few times and, and not been so good. But I'm inspired by the people who just make that their life. They just get up every morning early, go for a surf, come back, go do their work, do whatever they got to do. It's just spectacular to watch. But obviously each time you're putting yourself out there, you are, you know, they have a higher risk of being bitten by a shark than I do because I'm not in there, you know. Mm. Like, the, more you, the more you do it, the more likely it's going to happen, don't you think? Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things where... What I've really noticed from surfers, and I'm generalizing this, uh, but from my understanding is that they know the risk. They know that there is a risk every time they wake up, let alone go into the ocean and surf. And so, yeah, I, I think they know the risk and they're okay with that risk. Of course, it's very scary mm -hmm. when, you know, it, it happens to be a surfer and they get bit. But they know the risk. And like you said, the only 100% foolproof way of protecting yourself from a shark bite is not going into the ocean. Yeah. Or waters in yeah, general, I guess, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's I guess there's devices now, isn't there, that um, uh, make the sharks not come near you too, which I, I think we're going to speak to somebody about, um, which is interesting. But, I mean, the, th the thing is that for some people, the love of the ocean is so powerful. And that draw to the ocean is so powerful that they go there despite, despite it being seen as being a very slight chance of happening. They still do it anyways, which I think is incredible. That 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 drives human beings that that need, um, and that kind of that well being factor that they have by, by being in the ocean every day. Mm, exactly. It's fascinating. It, it's yeah. I think. The relationship that ocean users, such as scuba divers, uh, free divers, surfers, uh, have with our oceans is really special because they understand it in a way that most people who you know go to the beach, stay there for the day, and come back don't understand as much. You know that is a passion, that is a love, that is an acute understanding of this ecosystem. Um, which I find really inspiring and humbling. Mm. Do, you, do you tend to get in the ocean every day? I try to. Um, it's actually now that I'm off of the boat, uh, this is the first time, this is the longest I've been without the ocean for the past couple of months, and I'm kind of like itching to go back. Oh. Um, and then, of course, living in Perth, I go to the beach as often as possible. So, yeah, um, definitely miss it. <laughs> And what does it feel like when you're swimming amongst the sharks? To me, it's 
I just sit there in awe, you know, I've, I've seen hundreds of thousands of sharks probably by now, and every single time I still get this really giddy feeling of just being in awe because I'm with an animal that's just so old, uh, so prehistoric, has seen so much in its lifetime, uh, and it's just absolutely beautiful. So I'm always really, really excited when I get to see or get the chance to scuba dive with them, but also get to see them really up close and in their element. Mm. And have you ever been in any kind of scary situations with them? No, I've been really lucky that uh, we haven't had anything happen um, while working with sharks, which, yeah, I, I count myself really lucky. Again, I know that is a very low risk. There's, you know, you know, for scuba diving, you have a higher risk and it's actually more dangerous just the act of scuba diving alone, let alone uh, dealing mm. with the sharks because so much can go wrong while scuba diving. And so, um, yeah, have been really, really lucky, knock on wood, <laughs> that <laughs> nothing has happened. I mean, presumably the shark's always in this I've got to eat something mode. No, no, you know what? That is, that's <laughs> like... One of, that's Jaws again. That's Jaws. Yeah, that's Jaws. Um, no, a lot of times they're really curious. They come up and like circle around trying to figure out what you are. Some species want nothing to do with you. They're just like, nah, you're weird. You make way too much noise <laughs> with your bubbles. I'm out of here. Um, yeah. It's really interesting seeing their different personalities and who's a little bit more ballsy than the other. Oh, that's interesting. Are you, were you surprised by that was it when you saw that in the nature in nature? Yeah, I I thought that was a little bit surprising because again, you do have like this kind of preconceived notion of what a shark is based on what's portrayed in the media, and so seeing some like actually quote unquote timid sharks uh, was really interesting to me. And again, it's just one of the many things that fascinates me about them. What do you think? Um, you know, the everyday person listening in, you know, what part can people be playing in? in keeping, um, you know, staying kind of keeping the oceans clean and healthy and, and what can businesses do in contributing to, you know, the survival of the oceans, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think probably one of the biggest things uh, that people kind of need to realize is that we don't have to do, all of our actions don't have to be perfect. Uh, a bunch of people doing all of these different actions imperfectly to protect our oceans is a lot better than just one or two people doing it absolutely perfectly. So uh, mm -hmm. that's, I think, probably one of the biggest things. And it, it's anything from downloading a sustainable seafood app, making sure that if you do eat seafood, that it is sustainably caught because that is the biggest threats mm. that face our oceans right now. Uh, and mm -hmm. there are quite a few of them worldwide. Uh, so go on the app store or oh what's it called in android it's not app store it's something else well go to the store that has the apps in the android <laughs> um and you can type in seafood uh, or sustainable seafood app and it will actually show you the sustainable seafood app uh that is available in your region that's probably one of the mm -hmm. biggest things people can do uh another really big thing is voting responsibly for politicians who actually care about our environment uh you know it they really do have sway in what happens into our oceans and our environment as a whole and so of course you want to make sure that the people who you're putting into that seat of power actually care and can actually do something 
for it. Um, donating your time and also yeah. your money for organizations that are already out there that are trying to fight the good fight and protecting our oceans, uh, cleaning up our oceans and whatnot is always really important because there's never enough funding uh, for all of the things that need to be done to kind of get us back to a really good place. Uh, and then, of course, sharing resources. So it's anything from you saw an interesting article about a bill that passed uh, that has something to do with our ocean animals to you saw a petition for your local government that you're that they're thinking of passing something for offshore drilling or for deep sea mining. And you're against that sharing that with your friends and family being like, hey. You know, this is something that I'm really passionate about. Uh, have a little read through, do your own research. I'm happy to ask, ask some or answer some questions and go from there. Um, yeah, I, I could go on and on and on. Anything from making sure you reduce your plastic consumption to making sure your carbon footprint uh, could be it isn't as big as it should be and can go a little bit smaller. There's so many things that we can do to make our planet a little bit better. Um, and I think thanks to the age of the internet, we're finding more and more ways that we can help out and come together as a community to really make a difference. Well, that's fabulous advice. Where, where do you see yourself in five years time? When, when do you finish your course, by the way? Yeah, so um, hopefully I finish my course in a couple of years <laughs> uh, with the way that things are going. Um, I did have a little bit of a setback due to the pandemic, so I'm hoping to catch up and be done with it in the next couple of years. Uh, so maybe next time you guys talk to me, I'll be Dr. Marquez. Uh, but you know what? I, I don't really know. I, I think I'll still be doing research, shark research of some sort. Uh, I'll still be writing about our wildlife and misunderstood predators. I'll hopefully still be doing TV presenting. Uh, and how that kind of culminates into a job, I'm not exactly sure. But you know what? Um, the life that I'm currently living right now is beyond my wildest dreams. So I'm kind of going to let the universe handle it and show me how it gets better. Wow, that's amazing. What a... You're such an optimistic person. It's so refreshing to hear hear the way that you're talking with such passion as well. Oh, thank you. Have have you? I was going to ask you if you designed your life, and it sounds like you're um, you're definitely doing the things you love doing. Was that by deliberate, um, you know, focus and and uh, planning it out? A little bit, and also uh, just luck and being there in the right places. Uh, my dad and my mom always kind of taught me that you sometimes get the best opportunities from the most unconventional kind of ways. And so a lot of people think that the way that I operate is a little bit funny sometimes. Um, and what I mean by that is, like you said, I'm, I'm really passionate. Um, one thing that I'm really proud of is that I still hold on to the childlike wonder that I had when I was a kid. Uh, many mm. people, they deal with me after a couple of days and they're just like, oh my God, it's like a child. <laughs> Cause I just get <laughs> yeah. excited over everything. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it'll be my one. They 000. say that in a positive way? Or? In a positive <laughs> way. Yeah. In a positive way. Um, I always get told that it's really infectious, like the enthusiasm yeah. and the excitement I have for life. And A, I take that as a compliment cause that makes me really happy. Cause they say that it makes yeah, them feel cool. like be excited about life too which is always great um 
But I think a lot of people think that scientists shouldn't be that way, that they shouldn't have this childlike wonder, that they shouldn't be excited about what they're doing. Uh, and I, I don't agree with that. And so that's kind of set me apart from quite a lot of people because I don't dampen myself to fit into anybody's box, essentially. Uh, there's this really mm. good quote where it's like, if I'm too much for you, go find less. And Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I, I bet you use that, that a couple of times. Oh, 100%. <laughs> 100%. Uh. Um, it is one of those things where I'm proud of how enthusiastic I am about life I think a lot of people kind of lose that as they grow old um and I still have it thankfully (laughs) so how how do how do you think you can how do you think people listening in can can kind of help kind of get more in that space yeah like because some people are pretty skeptical in life oh I Uh, or they've been they've been hurt or bad things have happened to them and it's kind of brought them down and stuff but how do you think it's a good way to to get out of that and get back to the kind of optimistic, positive outlook in life and maintain that? Yeah, to me, one of the biggest things that I do um, is I journal every morning and night. And I Mm -hmm. start off, like the first thing that I write are things that I'm grateful for. Uh, I find that even in really bad situations, you can kind of find a silver lining. So, for example, I was really, really upset uh, when the latest application for me getting back into Australia got rejected and I had a day where I was sucky about it and I was like all right let me feel bad about it because you know you need to feel all of your emotions you you need the bad to experience the truly good and so after my day Mm -hmm. of like having it down I was like right well what's the good about this and I'm like well I haven't seen my parents in years so I get to spend some time with them I also get to spend some time with other family and friends that I haven't seen here for a while Um, Mm -hmm. I'm hopefully working with some organizations here in the Northern Hemisphere. Maybe this gives me some time to actually be like in person working with them for a bit. And so I just started listing things off. And then by the end of it, I was like, actually, yeah, it's not that bad that I'm here for a little bit. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things that's kind of helped me is just realizing the good that you have around you, even if it's not in a place, like, even if you're not where you want to be you still have to kind of take time to appreciate the good that's around you. Um, But sometimes also it's just taking a moment to kind of look around you and realizing that we live in this tiny little ball in this giant universe and you get to live in this moment right now and see the things that you're seeing right now. And I think that's pretty magical. Um, You know, for me, I had quite a lot of those moments where I was in the Arctic and the Azores just looking around and I was like, wow, I can't believe I get to share the planet with something this extra, like this extraordinary thing that's here. Um, but also I do it even when I'm in the middle of like suburbia and I'll give you an example. I went to for a run earlier today and I kind of just at the end of the run, I just kind of like stood in the sidewalk and like planted myself on the ground cause I was exhausted. And I was like, it's a really beautiful day. I haven't been able to like enjoy a good Florida day in a really long time. Uh, the birds that I've, you know, I've, I've heard for quite a bit of my life are around me. Um, I'm getting to see kids coming off the school buses and they've all got smiles on their faces cause they're going home. And it's like, this is a really good moment. And so it is kind of just taking those five seconds in your busy life and just 
enjoying where you're at. And if you're wanting to go somewhere else, you know, um, building that dream life and you're working on hustling for it, I think it's good to sometimes just take a moment and reflect being like, I like past me would have been really happy to see where I am today. I need to acknowledge that. Mm. Well, wow. You are a incredibly inspiring woman. So thank you so much for all of you, what you've talked about today. It's really inspiring. And especially for people listening in who are um, looking for the thing that kind of makes them excited, you know, sounds like you found the thing that you love uh, over time. Um, and sounds like you're, your optimism kind of keeps the is, is making the world a better place and uh, i think that uh, that's really really cool and we'd love to see where you how you progress and love to see the show um how do we see the show that you've just done yes and when's when's it go so, oh, live? so this one's actually not going to go live until 2023 we've got a lot of uh footage that they've got to go through to piece together this really incredible show um so it's going to be a little bit but funnily enough um i actually was part of another National Geographic show that's coming out this December on Disney Plus. Oh, cool. uh, and it's called Welcome to Earth, and it's actually hosted by Will Smith. And I was lucky enough to be able wow. to take the viewers back to my home, so Puerto Rico, and show them a little bit of the magic that we've got there in the Caribbean. So I am on episode two of this six part series of Welcome to Home, which will be on Dis Disney Plus in December of this year. Wow, we'll look out for that. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for being on the podcast uh, today. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for thinking of me for the podcast um, and for having me. That's cool. All right, thank you. Take care. Thank you, you too. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Design Your Life, Tied for Change with shark expert and marine biologist, Melissa Christina Marquez. Tune in next week for a special addition to our Lego to Skyscraper series where I'll be catching up with the brilliant Koichi Takada. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.